The pandemic has swept through our lives and has almost universally changed everything. And while we'll be living among COVID for the foreseeable future, we're already starting to sort through the rubble and evaluate what has happened, how we've coped, and how we'll move on. Like any major life event, we learn lessons along the way, and that's what we are talking about today. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. We need some balm for our soul. You mean some tiger balm? That is what I mean. It has tequila in it, a little lime juice, and something I can't pronounce that's really basically grapefruit simple syrup. It is, but it's fancy and it's made. It's oleosaccharum. And you guys have to Google this and look at how it's made. It's like this ridiculous peel the things and soak them and say a chant and a prayer, but it comes out with a really flavorful, it's kind of like a simple syrup, um, but it's delicious. And then you you dip the um, lime wheel garnish in a little bit of chili powder and it is so good. And I'll tell you what, the tequila drinks, I, I never think of tequila for some reason, but whenever we have a tequila drink, it's always really good. So I, I've come to the conclusion that tequila might be my favorite booze. I just don't know it. Yeah. Also, anything with grapefruit in it, I have learned that I love. Same. And I was never, I mean, I I like grapefruits in general, but I've never been a juice drinker. So I never have kept juice in the house. But grapefruit juice is great for cocktails. Oh, it's fantastic. It's like you get the citrusy, but not overly sweet. It's got just that bitter bite to it. Love it. I love it too. Long story short, folks, go make this drink. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a whole episode just on this cocktail. <laughs> That's okay. That's a lesson we've learned from the pandemic, right, is how to make a good cocktail because we've got more time on our hands. Or because we have needed some booze. Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, as we talk about lessons that we've learned from COVID, it, it's, man, you'd have to really be not paying attention or not not be very thoughtful about your own life if you haven't learned something right what do you what do you think is some of the some of the takeaways that you've had i don't know if we're starting with the good the bad or the ugly but really it's it's survival i mean from everything from you know the early days will there be shortages of food will all the money dry up will i be able to work and take care of my children. Will I be able to keep my job? Will I be able to keep my job? I think survival is the first thing we learned, really. Yeah. Um, you know, last episode we talked about, uh, we, we discovered that we both took a forestry class in in college that we both really, truly loved. And one of the things that I learned is that jack pines, uh, which are native to Michigan, uh, North America, really, but they also are the preferred tree of the Kirkland warbler, which is Uh, endangered, but that jack pines, their cone, their pine cones are really, really tight and their seeds are very hard to release. And they really require an incredibly high temperature to release. And most often it happens with fire. And, And I find that to be a really beautiful metaphor for sometimes what happens in life and that through if you kind of have to walk through the fire to get to, to, to some growth on the other end. Karen, I really love that metaphor that you chose because I, I'm hopeful that we're going to come out of this moment. And when I talk about this moment, I mean both 
um, COVID-19 and the civil rights changes that we're all looking to find, I think we're going to come out new and better or new and fresher. So surviving and coming out the other side always comes with a benefit, I think. Yeah. I mean, from your, from your words, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I think you're right. I think, and in, in if you have to move past survival, you know, we kind of settled into some other things. Um, I think that innovation is the, one of the things that comes to mind. I know that um, everything from people learning how to work at a distance to, you know, using technology or really starting to look and question your business practices because you've had to be really sharp about you know, what's coming in and what's going out when, when business um, is a little thin. I mean, the innovation's been all over the place. It has been. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the technology that we have at our disposal and we're using on a regular basis right now has been here for quite some time. And um, mass adoption didn't happen until we were forced to adopt. So in some ways, one of the lessons is that you have to be um, down to no choices in order to innovate because the the way we are recording, the way people are hosting conferences, the way um, interpersonal relationships are happening in the workplace is all very different. And all of the technology that's supporting it right now existed for years, but most of us did not take the time or have the courage to try it. And so, wow, a lot of innovation, tons. Yeah, we didn't need to notice it. Yeah, we didn't need to notice. I think um, um, especially, you know, I, patience is not something that is a virtue that I come by naturally. Uh, that's why I married my husband. He has all of it for the family. But I think um, being home and, and, and being a family unit and, and having no clear answer um, in terms of what this virus could do or, you know, the threat of the virus, just letting go of that control and being flexible. And um, I think that's something that's been a real exercise for me at least. Yeah, I think it has. And honestly, I, I think you've done an excellent job at it. Every time we have a conversation, I'm always very impressed with how much patience and flexibility you have exhibited and ability to sort of enjoy and revel in the process. And, you know, for me, that's interesting because flexibility is supposed to be a trait of an entrepreneur, right? Um, pivoting and inventing and being agile and all kinds of words that are trendy, but <laughs> it's easier to talk about it than to do it. And so being flexible in how that happens in trusting your employees to get the work done, even though you can't see them in allowing your clients to have to move a deadline 17 times because their work life is different um, makes it, it makes you both softer and stronger. And I think that that's, that's been something that we've kind of learned. Yeah. I like that softer and stronger. That's nice. You know, it's funny to me. Um, so listeners, Karen and I have offices quite close to each other and in our neighborhood, another old town, um, business owner who's been here for a very long time. Kendra, she owns the headroom and that's where I get my hair done. And I was so impressed when I, when she finally opened back up and I went in and, and her practices were so tight. They were so well done. And she said she um, booked a dental appointment, even though she didn't need one 
to go through the process at her dentist's office because she thought that was the most intimate space and it's a healthcare space. So if she could understand what their practices were to keep people healthy and during the COVID epidemic, she could implement the best of those in her salon to keep her employees and her customers safe. And how cool is that? Like how flexible and innovative is that? And, and you know, that's one of many stories. There's just been so many people who've been really innovative and really flexible and really come out of this stronger. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. And I, and I think to your point earlier about, um, coming out of this stronger and and coming out of this better as people. I think we're learning a lot about um, this with the civil unrest. I think there's a lot of social learnings that are happening um, both with, you know, the notion that inequity is killing people um, at a much higher rate during this virus, but that it's not even really, I mean, the virus is shining the light on it, right? It happens anyway. Uh, The poverty kills people. And I think that um, the fact that, more and more people are stepping up and being allies and doing really hard work to try to to get it right. Yeah. Well, I think that what has happened is this time has exposed everything that's wrong and how deeply wrong and dysfunctional so many things are. Whether it's the hospital that doesn't have space or is afraid of their ICU um, capacity, or it's the small business who doesn't have business in the pipeline, or it's the service industry worker who gets paid by the hour, a lot of the things that we have skated along with really, truly don't work when put under pressure. And the infrastructure is kind of broken. That's a personal opinion. Um, But that's why we have a podcast, (laughs) I suppose. This is episode 79 of personal opinions. (laughs) It sure is. Um, But I think quite a few of us have understood that all of the facades we've put up to think that things are working are really facades. And there are some serious structural changes that need to happen to make things more equitable. And um, it's, it's very clear. It just, even, even with COVID while again, and I think we've talked about this before, we're not healthcare professionals, but we know that comorbidities lead to death when someone gets something serious like COVID or the flu and comorbidities come from being poor not having access, um, being denied access or being shut out. And that's what we're dealing with. And I think a lot more people are seeing them. I think more people are experiencing them. And that's good. I mean, it's painful, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think from top to bottom, whether it's, um, you know, evaluating our own survival um, of one form or another, or if it's our innovation or patience and flexibility or, or these social learnings that we're going through, we're, we're really um, reevaluating the things that are most important. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I talk all the time with my family pre COVID too, about kindness and, and like the, the distance that kindness gets you in the world, um, not in order to, but because it's the good thing to do and extending kindness to people. Um, but just really, really reevaluating what's important and kind of going back to basics. So whether that's us sitting here with no makeup, right? Right. (laughs) Which I've totally given up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, well, that's the cool thing is, um, we've learned what we've learned from COVID is we can sit here in comfortable clothes with no makeup, um, miles apart from each other and still be doing really great work. 
And whether that work is the work we do on our in a daily basis, or if that's work toward building a society that's a little more functional for everybody, um, those things can coexist, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, and we've talked a lot about the, the additional time with family and what that's meant to us, um, the good and the bad and the stressful and the relaxed. But um, also the, the things that we kind of give up. I, I, I have at least three friends who have gone from a two-car family to a one-car family. Um, you know, we elected to um, scale back some of the things that we pay for and, and trade for time, such as getting our grass cut. So, you know, we're cutting our own grass again uh, in, in, a, in preparation for our son to take over that job maybe <laughs> next summer. But can I just interject? There's nothing greater than watching your kids do the manual labor around your house. I can't wait. Yeah, it's fantastic. My kids contribute in the in, in age appropriate ways right now. So you know, like there's trash taking out and recycle sorting and things like that. But uh, power equipment, we're not there yet. But maybe next year. Yeah. Well, even whatever it is, and it's it's funny because you can look at that like um, you're making them do chores, but really you're just teaching them to be functional humans, yeah. and and you get to benefit a little bit from their expertise, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> My twelve um, year old is mowing the lawn. And at some point I hadn't paid attention to the fact that he could ride the, he could ride the riding mower. And so I thought his brothers did the riding motor mower and he did like the, the corners and stuff. And he looked at me, he's like, mom, I can do the riding mowing. And I said, Oh, fantastic for me. (laughs) And I I just didn't know we'd gotten there. And I think he's been there for a year and I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) That's a testament to how good of a job they're doing then. If you didn't have to notice. Right. That's something I've learned is that my kid is very functional. Yay. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Yeah. I just, there's so many lessons. I think, um, I'm not done, um, sitting in it. I'll continue to sit in it and, um, continue to look for the lessons that are coming out of this time. Um, you know, I'm looking for other ways to simplify my life and make it a little bit, um, slower. Um, I realize, I truly realize that the stress that's caused during our short evenings after school, right? That 90 minutes between hitting the door and needing to get kids to bed. So much of that stress is self-inflicted and um, it doesn't have to be that way. And so I'm just going to continue to keep my ears open um, and, and kind of take it as it comes, but, but really kind of document the things that I'm learning most. I like that too. I like I like that sentiment. And you're right. It's so much of it is self-inflicted. So much of it is a construct that we've made and we feel like we have to adhere to and we don't. And this has been a great experiment into when push comes to shove and your choices are different and nothing works the way you have expected it to work. What floats to the top as most important for you and what makes you feel great and what makes your family run and your community run. And um, it's a really good time to make those decisions and, and sort of readjust what North looks like for, for each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the Norths that I'm experiencing right now is the, the end of the tiger bomb. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, I might need to have another one of those. <laughs> I don't know. You've got to make some more of this, uh, oleosacrum, which I've never, uh, to be honest, I've never heard of I've never heard of this. I've just probably enjoyed it in bars somewhere. So one of the things I I think we've learned is how to make our own cocktail, which is kind of good. It's a good drink. It is a very good drink. 
And it's a, it's a good conversation. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you liked it, share it with a friend. I'm very excited. Our next episode is um, a guest episode. Who are we going to be talking to, Jen? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. It's Susie Elkins. She's the director of broadcasting and she's the general manager of WKAR Public Media at Michigan State University. She's got her hands in a million things. And as the TV station manager, she oversees all the programming, makes original content, figures out partnerships for all the broadcast channels. And so we are going to learn a ton from her next time around. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about how she's create how she's had to innovate to create content during coronavirus, but also to keep things moving. But also as a as a female lead in a broadcast station, um, she's certainly in the minority, and I want to hear about her climb to the top. I can't wait for next time. Join us. Cheers. <laughs>